Morning, church. Happy Father's Day to fathers. I know Father's Day can mean different things to different people, uh, depending on where you've been in life, what's going on in life, depending on your earthly father. You can know for certain that you have a heavenly father who loves you dearly. I can tell you that uh, being close to my dad after uh, losing my dad over a year ago, Father's Day has different meanings now. But uh, however you want to take this, happy Father's Day. So I'm wearing my Father's Day tie. Sydney texted me this morning and said, you'd better be wearing it. So if you see Sydney, or if you're thinking, where did he get that tie? It's from Sydney. So uh, there. You might be thinking, uh, what, what are the table and, and, and chairs for? Well, I'm not going to tell you. Okay, I'll tell you. Tonight, Brian and I are going to have a conversation with whoever shows up. If you looked in the bulletin, you'll notice that on Sunday nights, we're pretty much doing something different every Sunday night, and tonight will be different. Brian and I are just going to have a conversation with each other, some things that we've been talking about that we want to share, and want to encourage you to come back tonight. I think, uh, I hope you'll enjoy it. We're looking forward to it, and we're going to have fun. And so that is tonight. So that's what's going on with the table and chairs. If you're thinking we're going to call you up and we're going to interview you, that is not going to bring people back Sunday night. So Brian and I will do the interviewing. We conclude our series today from 1 John. It's hard to believe because I think this is lesson 15 on 1st John. I hope you have benefited and enjoyed 1st John as much as I have. I have thoroughly enjoyed. 15 lessons could have easily been 30, but uh, we whittled it down to about 15, so I hope that uh, you've enjoyed. 1st John 5, we'll begin reading in verse 13 today, and we'll close out. 1st John 5, 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, He should pray, and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God. And that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. So that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, even in His Son Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, you know after 15 lessons that there's certain terminology that John uses. He uses the word know over 40 times. He says, we know, we know, 
we know. Because there's some things that he wants us to know. He wants us to know about God. He wants us to know Jesus. He wants us to know that we need to love one another. He wants us to know that we need to obey His commands. There are certain things that He says we should know. Now, that means you don't have to suppose. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to hope you know. John says, we know. We No, and so we've been driving that home because he uses it over 40 times. So we're going to use his outline today because eight times in chapter 5, six times in our text today, he uses that word no. So we're going to pick some of the things that he wants us to know. The first one, we can know that we have eternal life. Maybe the most important verse in this entire letter, verse 13 I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know. You don't have to hope. You don't have to wonder. So that we may know that we have eternal life. John wants us to know we can have eternal life and we can possess eternal life and we can know that we are saved. Listen, church, it's okay to know. It's not being pompous. It's not being haughty. It's not some kind of confidence that we shouldn't have, God wants us to know that we have eternal life. But there's people that say, well, you know, Richie, we can't know that. We're not supposed to know that. We shouldn't have that kind of confidence. There's people in this audience who struggle with that. Well, I don't know that I should know. I don't know that I'm supposed to know. Listen, folks, it's possible to have the knowledge of eternal life. You can know that you're saved. And you can have the assurance of salvation. Now, we've been talking about the Gnostics. There was a group of people. Gnostics is from the Greek word gnosis or gnosis. And so they said, you know, if you want to know Jesus, that's okay. But there's a special knowledge and a special revelation that you need to have. As if Jesus is not enough. And so John has very clearly taught us that knowing Jesus is enough. And there's not a special knowledge and there's not a special revelation. We have everything that we need to know in Jesus Christ. And he drives home that point. Folks, if you don't know that you're saved, then the rest is really unimportant. Whatever the rest is, however you want to fill in the blank, if you don't know that you're saved, the rest means nothing. Now, again, I know that many of you struggle with that. I grew up struggling with that. I grew up in a church in western Oklahoma. And it was just like a lot of churches in western Oklahoma, just like a lot of churches in Texas, just like a lot of churches across America. We prided ourselves on knowing because the Bible says be prepared to give an answer. So we were prepared to give an answer. And it's okay to know. And I want to know. And we knew the answer to everything. We knew the answer to questions people weren't even asking. We prided ourselves on knowing And if there was book, chapter, and verse, we knew book, chapter, and verse. And if we didn't know book, chapter, and verse, we would make a book, chapter, and verse fit. Folks, we knew it. And we charted it out. There were a lot of Bibles published back then that in the back of the Bible there were charts. And we knew. We didn't know when Jesus was coming, but we knew everything else. We knew who was going to heaven. We knew who was going to hell. We knew about Gehenna. We knew about Hades. We knew about the order of events. We knew all of that. And it's okay to know. We knew about what well, we thought we knew about the Holy Spirit. We called him a ghost. We thought we knew about him. But there's one question 
that threw us for a loop. There's one question that we would say, you can't know that. If you died today, do you know that you'd go to heaven? If you died today, do you know that you're saved? If you died today, do you know that you have eternal life? However you want to phrase that question, we would say, you can't know that. We did not teach the doctrine of assurance of salvation, even though Scripture is very clear on that. And so we'd say, well, you know, I, I, I hope that I go to heaven. I, I hope that I've done enough. We had all the answers except one eternal answer, which is interesting to me because Scripture is very clear. If you want book, chapter, and verse, it's very clear. I'm going to share some Scriptures with you that we did in Lesson 1. Lesson 1, we're going to go to Lesson 15. Listen to what Scripture says about the certainty of salvation. John chapter 5, I assure you, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. I assure you, what are we missing on that? They will never be condemned for their sins, but they've already passed from death into life. John 3, 16 and 18, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. There's no judgment awaiting those who trust him. John chapter 10, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one, no one, no one can snatch them out of my hand. Hebrews chapter 6, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Ephesians chapter 1, when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is God's guarantee. That He will give us everything He promised and that He has purchased us to be His own people. 1 Peter chapter 1, in His great mercy, He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil, never fade, kept for us in heaven. And then again today in verse 13, I write these things to you so that you can... You may know. Folks, if you die today, are you going to be in heaven? Well, I, I, I don't know. Either you trust God or you don't. Because he says very clearly, I want you to know. If you're a child of mine, I want you to know. Well, Richie, I, I, I don't know if we're supposed to know that. Well, then you don't know the Bible. For being a Church of Christ person, growing up, reading Scripture, then you're missing some Scriptures. Because it clearly says... We can have assurance of our salvation. That's what John wants us to know. Paul writes it this way in 2 Timothy 1. I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. You read the story of any martyrs, any martyrs. You want to know what gave them strength and they, how they were able to die? Because they knew that death was just the door that ushered them into salvation and brought them face to face with God. They know they knew who they believed in. Folks, we can have that confidence. If you're uncertain about your salvation today, you have no certainties in life. None. John wants you to know you're saved, and John wants you to have assurance of your salvation. I like the quote from William Bridge who said, He that lacks assurance of God's love converses too much with Satan. You're listening to Satan. 
Satan doesn't want you to have assurance. Satan wants you to wonder. Satan wants you to doubt. You're listening too much to Satan. Listen to what God says. I write these things to you so that you may know. Maybe you heard about the preacher who pulled into a small town. He was speaking that night. Got there a little early and he needed to mail a few letters, but he didn't know where the post office was. Saw a little boy on a bicycle, so he rolled down his window and he asked the boy, Hey, where's the post office? The little boy told him, and so he thought, You know, I need to take advantage of this. This boy probably needs to go to church tonight. So he said, Hey, young man, um, why don't you come to church tonight? I'm speaking on how to get to heaven. The boy said, No. No, I don't want to come. He said, well, why wouldn't you want to come? He said, preacher, why would I want to listen to you talk about how to get to heaven? You don't even know how to get to the post office. (laughs) Now think about that, church. Why would anybody want to come to our worship, come to our group, be in small groups, be in Bible classes, and listen to us talk about heaven if we don't even know we're going? Well, that's a great marketing campaign. Why would anybody want to be a part of an uncertain group? Folks, knowing that you're saved gives validity to your testimony. Knowing that you are saved makes people want to know what you know. And we tell them about Jesus Christ. You can know that you're saved, church. There's no reason for you to walk out of here, live another day, live another minute, wondering, well, I hope I've done enough. I hope that God saves me. I hope that, I hope that, I hope that. You don't have to. To wonder. Folks, if you don't know that you're saved, then you're going to spend the rest of your life trying to make yourself right with God when God's already made you right with Him through Jesus Christ. You don't have to wonder. It's really pretty simple. He says, it's not necessarily what you know, it's who you know. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. And he's been talking about that in this letter. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died in the flesh? Do you believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth, that He lived on this earth, that He died on the cross to give us forgiveness of sins? Have you responded to what Jesus did at the cross? Or as John says, we love because He first loved us through Jesus Christ. And Scripture clearly says that we need to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And Scripture clearly says that we need to repent of our sins. And Scripture clearly says that we need to be baptized. And Scripture clearly says that when we're baptized, we become members of the family of God. And Scripture clearly says that when we become members of the family of God, we receive the Spirit of God and the nature of God. And it teaches us how to learn and love. And if you know that stuff and have responded to Jesus, you have no doubts. You have assurance of your salvation. If you die today, you will be with Jesus For you to say, well, I I don't know, then you don't trust God who says, look, I've done all this so that you can know. You don't have to live your life trying to make yourself right and wonder, I made you right through Jesus Christ. Folks, I don't know how you view the Bible. Maybe you view, view this as just a bunch of rules and regulations. It's an announcement. It's a love story. It's a proclamation The good news is that we have eternal life with Jesus and God through Jesus, and it's free. It's a free gift, and that's good news, and that deserves a proclamation. Folks, you're not going to be saved because of your morality. You're not going to be saved because your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. You're not going to be saved because of the sign, the name that's on this building. 
you're not going to be saved because you believed all the right stuff. Unless the one thing that you need to believe is Jesus Christ. Scripture says salvation is found in no other name. Salvation's in Jesus Christ. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, and if you've responded to Him the way Scripture says we, can, we should respond, it's called assurance of salvation. You can know that you have eternal life. Which leads to the next point, number two. He says we can know that God hears our prayers. Folks, if we have eternal life, if God's going to send His Son to die on the cross, don't you think He wants to listen to us? We can know that God hears our prayers. He says we know that He, God, hears us. The terminology is God's ears are attentive to us. We don't have to worry about getting a busy signal. We don't have to worry about, about God being too busy. We don't have to worry about Him listening. God hears us. Well, you know, I, I, I don't know. Again, you can know that God hears. And not only does God hear our prayers, God answers our prayers. God hears and God answers. God's eager to answer our prayers. God's eager to meet our needs. God may not be eager to meet our greeds, but He's eager to meet our needs. Folks, I know for certain that God hears me. And I know for certain that God answers me. But let me give you some quick biblical reminders about prayer just to help you in your prayer life. Okay? God hears and God answers, but you need to remember these things. Prayer's not about changing God's will. Prayer's about me getting in line with God's will. And so when I pray, I need to pray in Jesus' name. That's not something that we need to be legalistic about. If the guy who leads the closing prayer today doesn't say in Jesus' name, God didn't hear it. It's not a legalistic deal. To pray in Jesus' name means that we pray for what what Jesus would want. We pray for what brings Jesus glory. And so maybe our prayers are selfish prayers. Maybe our prayers are for what we want. Maybe our prayers have nothing to do with Jesus. It's all about us. And so when we pray, God will answer. It may be no, but that's an answer. And He'll always answer according to His timeline. You may not need it. You may not need it now. You may not need it ever. But God hears and God answers Think about it, folks. If you gave your children everything they asked you for, they would be spoiled brats. You know that. And if God gave us everything that we asked Him for, we would be spiritually spoiled brats. Sometimes the answer is no. But here's what you need to know. He hears. God always hears. I pray to God for my children all the time. And I know without a doubt, I know with confidence that He hears. And I know with confidence that He answers my prayers. It may not be what I ask Him for, but I know that He hears and that He answers. I don't have all the answers, though, as to how God answers. I don't. I'm not going to stand up here and pretend. I don't have all the answers. For growing up in a church that had all the answers, I don't have all the answers. So, for example, in verses 16 and 17, if anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray. But if he's committing a sin that leads to death, he gives the impression, don't pray for that guy. Well, what's he talking about? Let me give you a a deep theological answer. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not smart enough to determine which sins lead to death and which sins don't. But I know that if you're struggling in a sin, 
That's not reason for me to gossip. That's reason for me to pray for you. And I know that the sin that he's been talking about that leads to death is the sin where people deny that Jesus Christ is the Son of God come into flesh. If people are going to deny that, I get the impression, I don't know. Don't pray for those folks. They're too far gone. So since I don't know, maybe the safe thing would be, I'm just going to pray for everybody. And God will hear and God will answer. The great saints in the Bible were men and women of prayer. I know that the closer you are to God, the more you talk to God, the more you communicate with God. God hears and God answers. Number three, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. He's not suggesting we're no longer capable of sinning. He's not suggesting perfection. He's not suggesting a a sinless life. He's not suggesting that we'll never fall into sin. The terminology is... The people who are born of God don't go on sinning, don't practice sin. Why? Because we've been born of God. We're children of God and we're supposed to act a certain way. And again, we've been given God's nature in us that changes us and teaches us how to love and learn and obey. There's no reason that we should continue practicing sin. Look at the terminology. He says God's going to keep us safe. You believe that? Either you trust him or you don't. And he says, the evil one cannot harm us. Now listen, folks, as a child of God, I'm no longer under the authority of Satan. Satan doesn't want you to know that. Satan wants you to believe that you're under his authority. But the Bible says we no longer belong to this world. Sin no longer has reign over us. Sin no longer has authority over us. We're children of God and we've been set free from this world and we need to live that way. Listen, folks, Jesus didn't go to the cross to lose people. Jesus went to the cross to save people. Jesus didn't hang on the cross to leave us hanging in life. Jesus is going to guard us and Jesus is going to protect us. And Jesus is going to keep us from the evil one. But again, Satan wants us to think that he has authority over us. So let me illustrate this way. I was glad Jeff Ratley's here. Jeff, raise your hand on the back row over there. See, there he is. You can't hardly see Jeff because Jeff's not very big. But here's what I like about Jeff. You might not know this. Jeff officiates a lot of football and basketball, and I love watching Jeff officiate because he's got something very unique just like other officials. Jeff has authority, and Jeff has a whistle. Okay, Now, when I say Jeff's not very big, compared to a lot of the athletes on the basketball floor, they are huge compared to Jeff. And the coaches that he might be up against stand way taller than Jeff does. But let me tell you something. If Jeff blows his whistle and Jeff motions for the police officer, he can toss anybody out of that gym. If a player gets unruly, if a coach gets unruly, if a high school principal gets unruly, if a fan gets unruly... He blows that whistle, he points, and they are gone. Now, any of those people may have more physical power than Jeff. But Jeff has authority. Folks, Satan has power, but he has no authority over me. But he doesn't want me to know that. He wants me to think i got to give in to him, and he wants me to think that 
I have authority to sin. Folks, Satan still has power. We sang the song, Jesus, you know, Jesus has won the battle. The battle belongs to the Lord. Jesus won the battle, but Satan's still fighting the war. Satan still wants you to think that he can control you. But in that beautiful passage in Romans chapter, chapter 6 on baptism, all we see is the baptism. And y'all, there's so much more to baptism than getting wet. It's about getting a new nature. And that nature, when we're baptized, I crucify my old self. I bury my old self. I no longer live for my old self. I don't have to keep on sinning. That's what John's talking about. Paul says, I've been set free from sin. Sin has no power over me. Satan has no power over me. He has no authority. And we ought to just wear those big sandwich boards under new management. We're in the family of God. You want to know who has authority over us? God does. My body doesn't have authority over me. Satan doesn't have authority over me. I'm a slave to righteousness now. So I don't have to keep on sinning. In fact, he closes the very last verse. Dear dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Don't be idle about idol worship. You want to know what idolatry is? Anytime we put something in the place that God needs to occupy. That's idolatry. Could be a number of things. Where do you turn when the world turns you upside down? Maybe that's wherever you turn. Maybe that's your idol. Maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's work. Some of y'all are workaholics. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's children. Idolatry exists in a number of ways. An idol is anything that holds my life and my devotion. An idol is anything that I give too much attention to. An idol is anything I give too much of my time and my energy and my talents to if it's not God. So listen, folks, it's possible for me to worship religion and not worship God. It's possible for me to worship tradition and not worship God. It's possible for me to worship doctrine and not worship God. It's possible for me to worship a lot of stuff and not worship God. It's called idolatry. And at the core of idolatry is self. Either you're serving yourself in what you want to do and how you want to live, or you're going to serve God. Dear children, keep an eye on idolatry. The Titanic was an incredible ship. No ship had ever been built like the Titanic. It had all the amenities. It had all the luxuries. It had everything except the one thing it needed, enough lifeboats to save. That Titanic could take you on a comfortable ride, but when the world turns you upside down, you're going to die. Idolatry can take you on a nice, comfortable ride, but when the world turns you upside down, idolatry doesn't save. Jesus saves. The good news today is that Jesus Christ offers us salvation. It's free. He paid for it. He shed His blood for it. You can't attain it, but you can claim it. You can't live good enough to think that you deserve it. It's free. It's free. You just have to respond and accept it. And so John says you need to obey the commands. And John says you need to love your brothers. And John says you need to do whatever God tells you to do. So God says you need to confess. And God says you need to repent. And God says you need to be baptized. And God says you need to love your brothers and sisters. And if God says you don't need to gossip. And if God says you need to love whatever God says, 
as children in God's family, that's what we need to do. But here's what you need to know. You don't need to leave here today not knowing if you're saved or not. You can know that you have eternal life. You can know that you're saved. You can know Jesus Christ today. Folks, don't leave here today wondering. Living a life wondering if you're saved is a miserable life. John says, I don't want you to live that way. So we offer the invitation of Jesus Christ. This isn't my invitation. It isn't this church's invitation. It's the invitation of Jesus Christ for you to respond to what he did at the cross. If you need to respond, we'll welcome you down front to be baptized. If you want to talk to our elders, you can go to the back and they'll take you in a private room and they'll pray for you and embrace you and lift you up before God. But folks, listen. I write these things to you so that you may know. There's no greater feeling in the world than knowing that I will spend eternity with God and Jesus and my dad, my grandpa, those who have gone on before me in my family, those who have gone on before me in church family, those who've lived for thousands of years. Folks, you can know. If you need to respond to the invitation, please do so as we stand and sing. I know that my Redeemer